Coulter Wall, one of the new generation of country artists playing true country music. He's most known for his deep, gravelly, uh, older-than-he-actually-is voice, but his guitar playing is noteworthy. He doesn't do anything flashy, he's not out there melting faces, but his guitar playing is extremely effective, and it contains some techniques that you can apply to your own guitar playing. And that's exactly what I'll be teaching you in today's Acoustic Tuesday show. We'll look at Coulter's guitar playing and see what little nuggets you can steal from it and apply to your own guitar journey. Hey TAC family, welcome to episode 249 of the Acoustic Tuesday Show. This show is designed to inject your guitar journey with a weekly dose of fun, focus, progress, and inspiration. And speaking of inspiration, today you'll be meeting TAC family member Lisa, who is committed to her guitar routine even during a cross-country move. You're going to find out what her approach is, and I do believe you'll find it extremely effective and something you can actually use in your own guitar journey starting today. You're also going to see which guitar lick the TAC family is working on today, and it's entitled mashed potatoes. Yes, the dinnertime staple. And of course, your weekly dose of acoustic news awaits, which includes a new, unique album, a must-see memorial, a scumbag on the loose, and much, much more. But first, go ahead and grab your guitar because you'll be learning guitar lessons from none other than Coulter Wall. As you're getting settled with your guitar, I just want to go over a few things. Number one, if you haven't heard Coulter Wall before, please do so. Dive right into his discography. You've got Imaginary Appalachia, you've got his self-titled album, you've got Western Swing and Waltzes. A whole slew of good music awaits you. And if you've never heard him before, don't worry, this episode will still be of great benefit. The second thing. This is not a learn how to play a Coulter Wall song note for note. This is simply a look at his guitar style so you can pluck out some nuggets and apply them to your own playing. With that being said, let's dive into the 10 lessons from Coulter Wall that you can apply to your guitar playing. Lesson number one, no tension. When you watch Coulter Wall play, when you listen to him play and sing, he is holding no tension, and I'm talking about physical tension. His voice is smooth as silk, even though it's in a very low register, and his guitar playing, his, his picking hand specifically, is seemingly just flopping on the guitar, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that he doesn't seem to be fighting the guitar. He's just letting the rhythm flow through his picking hand. And when I say no tension, yes, I'm talking about physical tension, but when it comes to the guitar, he's actually reducing the tension on the strings as well. He's tuning a full step flat. So he's going from standard tuning and dropping each string a full step. So your E string becomes a D string, your A string becomes a G, your D string becomes a C, your G, G string becomes an F, your B string becomes an A, and your high E drops to a D. So now when you play, let's say, a G chord, it's actually an F chord. A really cool trick that not only probably helps the guitar fit his voice, but it kind of adds to his signature tone. So before we move on to the rest of the lessons, go ahead and tune your guitar one step flat. It's been six long months and more since I've seen her. She may be gambled and gone like Summer wages. And 
Lesson number two is the thumb scratch. This is a very interesting approach to rhythm guitar playing that really accentuates the bass, but supports the bass note with some chord body. Now I'm gonna teach this to you, but I want you to see it in action first. Here's Coulter playing the song 13 Silver Dollars. Pay special attention to his picking hand. So you've seen Coulter do it, now let me go ahead and teach you. What I want you to do is hold down a G chord. Now remember, you've tuned your guitar a full step flat. So this G chord, although it looks like a G shape, is actually an F chord. Okay, enough geeky stuff. Now let me go ahead and show you the thumb scratch. All you're gonna do is take your thumb, have it hit the low E string, and then the top of your index finger is gonna strum the rest of the strings. So just go ahead and repeat that. Here's how it will sound. Now you'll notice that the strums aren't very articulate and they're not very heavy. It's just quite simply an accent. Now, the more comfortable you get with that, I want you to move your thumb around. Do the low E string, then the A string, then the D string. That'll sound like this. Now I'm doing this over one chord because I think that will help you best learn this. I don't wanna throw a bunch of chords at you because it really takes the focus off of the technique. This technique is all on the picking hand, so let's limit the variables. Now, once you get familiar with the basic strum technique, the thumb scratch technique, then you get familiar with moving your thumb around, then you can add some flourishes and things like that. Things that you saw Coulter do in the intro to 13 Silver Dollars. Something that might sound like this. You get the idea. The thumb scratch is incredibly effective and it gives this wonderful bounce and almost laid back approach to rhythm guitar. Lesson number three is thumb superhero. And this pertains to Coulter's use of the thumb in conjunction with bass lines. Now, since he's using the thumb scratch, it's no surprise that the thumb plays a very important role. But the reason I call it the thumb superhero is because generally speaking with fingerstyle guitar or anytime you're using your picking hand without a flat pick, the thumb generally activates on quarter notes. Now I found a couple examples of Coulter's playing where he's using his thumb for eighth notes. So yes, I believe his thumb is a superhero. Let's go ahead and look at a clip and then I'll show you how to play actually this part of the song. What's the song? Ride Me Down Easy by Billy Joe Shaver. He actually performed this song at a great session at Chicago Music Exchange. And here's a quick clip of it. And then again, when we come back, I'll teach it to you. Okay, let's check out the inner workings of that. Again, you're tuned down a full step. I want your capo on the second fret, but leave that low string open. So you're only capoing five strings. That allows you to play a D shape 
and get that nice full bass note. Now, what he's doing here, I'm gonna sh I'm gonna isolate the bass line. I'm gonna solo it out. What he's doing is grabbing that A string, hammering onto the third fret, moving to the second fret, open A, and then down to that low string, what ends up being the third fret. So it sounds like this. Okay, so if we put that in conjunction with that D chord, it sounds like this. Right, a very cool active bass line. Another great example of that is the song Kate Mechanic. Now, it doesn't necessarily use eighth note bass lines. However, he uses a wonderful driving bass to actually create the signature part of the song. Here's how that sounds. So yeah, his thumb is very much a superhero and he uses it to create these wonderful lines, this wonderful uh, uh, flowing sensation between chords. And again, yes, it's derived from the thumb scratch, but I wanted to isolate just the thumb because Coulter's thumb is, is incredibly mobile and he uses it to great effect. Lesson number four is mahogany main squeeze. Tone, what the hell does that even mean? Well, if you look at Coulter's playing, almost every single video, almost every single song, he's playing on a vintage, small body, all mahogany Martin. Now, I'm not sure of the exact year uh, of his vintage mahogany Martin. I wanna say it's 40s or 50s, but I could be way off base. I'm actually not sure if it's a single O or a double O, but the reason I'm bringing up the type of guitar that he uses is because I believe that's where a lot of his tone comes from. It's this wonderful, dark, woody, almost dry tone, and he gets that out of his vintage mahogany Martin, small body Martin. That's why I chose to play this guitar today. This is a 1935 single 017, and I believe it replicates close to what Coulter's tone is. Lesson five, by the bridge. If you look at Coulter's playing, generally speaking, his picking hand is activating the strings very close to the bridge. Why is he doing this? Well, I believe that number one, it's probably comfortable for him to pick there, but it leads to the tone that he produces. Although he's playing a smaller bodied guitar, although it's all mahogany, it actually, allows him to create a wonderfully articulate sound. And I think this is a great benefit to him when playing with the full band because his acoustic guitar can still cut through pedal steel, bass, in some cases, drums. In fact, here's a great example of the song Thinking on a Woman. Pay special attention to where he's picking the strings on his guitar. Sweetly taking his time Thinking all the straight right Chasing it with red wine Heavy on his troubled mind this is a great experiment for you to try. I want you to try that basic thumb scratch over that G chord, which we know is actually an F because of the tuning, and go ahead and pick the strings over the sound hole 
and then slowly move your hand back to the bridge. And you're gonna hear the tone change significantly. I'll go ahead and do that without talking so you can actually hear the tone change. Here's how it sounds. So it's much more articulate the closer you get to the bridge. This is a great way to control the tone of your acoustic guitar. It's almost like having a tone knob without having a tone knob. Lesson number six, tell a story. This lesson is directly from the songwriting department and I have to say, I feel like this is Coulter's superpower because the majority of his songs are story songs. You look at 13 Silver Dollars, you look at Kate McKinnon, um, numerous other songs. My mind is totally blank now. Um, but if you listen to his songs, if you look at the lyrics, they're all fantastic stories. Um, and just to give you an idea of a snippet of a story, let's listen to the song Kate McCannon, one of the best modern story songs in the folk realm I've ever heard. When I first met Tom McCannon, I was working in the mine. Said he had himself a dark haired daughter with long green eyes. And when she and I didn't meet, she was bathing in the creek. Prettiest girl in the whole damn holler, that ain't no lie. Lesson seven, skip a finger. Now it's very clear that Coulter uses the thumb scratch technique, but he also does standard three finger picking, but he does it with a twist. He does not use his index finger. He uses his thumb, his middle finger, and his ring finger. In fact, let's go ahead and look at him playing the song Railroad Bill. Pay special attention to his picking hand because you'll notice that his index finger is curled in tight and he's not using it at all. So why does he approach three finger picking like this? Well, number one, it's probably comfortable. Usually when you learn something one way and you develop the muscle memory, that's how you carry it out for the rest of your life in a lot of cases. But I also have another theory. Now this is an unproven theory, but given that he uses the thumb scratch, Maybe using the middle and the ring finger for three finger picking allows him to do both. Something like this, where he's picking a song, finger picking, and then he wants to strum. It, it might sound like this. I mean, just a random example there with a C chord, but you can see that having that index finger free allows you to go from one style to another. 
something that you can try. Uh, a great exercise to start out is to go ahead and grab that C chord, use your thumb on the A string, middle finger on the B, thumb drops to the D, ring finger on the high E, just to get used to the feel and that pattern. It would sound like this. You can even throw some pinches in there, which would be uh, the thumb and the middle or the thumb and the ring activating the strings at the same time. That would sound like this. All sorts of various patterns, but bottom line, he's using his thumb, his middle, and his ring finger. Lesson number eight, be your own band. There's two reasons I think this is an important lesson that we can learn from Coulter Wall. Number one, if you look at him playing solo, he has great control over his dynamics. He represents the bass incredibly well. He carries on the strumming and he plays the melody. Those four things are essentially like having a band. Yes, it's a smaller format because it's a solo artist, but he does a great job of harnessing all of those elements. The second reason I say that he is his own band is very early on in his career, he brought a bass drum and used it for a percussive element while he would play solo. So not only did he have those four elements that I mentioned already, he had this wonderful percussive element as well. Here's an example. When I first met Tom McCann I was working in the mines. Lesson number nine, push to be better. This comes from an interview that Coulter did on the Converse Cowboy podcast. It was very early on in the interview and he made a statement about wanting to be better, that, that yearning to always be better that I thought was incredibly profound and very much worthy of me sharing and me making it a lesson on today's show. Here's the quote. It goes to show that, you know, I really don't know anything about any of this and how it works and I've kind of, like most things in life stumbled into this uh, and, and it's worked for me. Um, but uh, like anything, you know, I, I've never really contended at any point with anything I do on a musical level or anything that I ever really do. I just, that's just kind of, kind of way things have been for me where I'm constantly trying to, well, what can I do to make this better? What can I do to, to uh, uh, find some way to improve or just learn something, a new trick or whatever it might be. Right. Lesson number 10, necessity breeds creativity. And this again comes from the interview that Coulter did on the Converse Cowboy podcast. And he told a story about how he started. You know, he was just a guitar player when he was 13. And then he wanted to write, and then, well, he needed somebody to sing the songs. Better told in Coulter's words. Here's his story of getting started, and actually how he started singing as well. Kind of, well, I never really sang. I always played guitar from, you know, from about 13, and when I picked it up, played guitar, and then I kind of started messing around with wanting to write a little bit, and that's sort of what, how, where the singing came from, because I figured if I'm gonna write it, somebody's gotta sing these songs, you know? Um, so it's been, it's just, it's been a learning experience all the way through. It, it probably, I don't know if I can remember, but I think, you know, the first time I really tried to sing it, I don't think it would have been, I was probably trying to sing in a higher register and at that point wasn't able to do that. I do remember struggling with, uh, with trying to sing these songs that I was messing around with for a long time, just, you know, to myself and in, in my bedroom, 
messing around with stuff. And, and, um, I don't know if there was a specific moment where I just sort of tried to hit a lower register or something, but there may have been. And, uh, I decided that maybe I was going to stick with it. I hope you enjoyed this segment. I have to tell you, selfishly, I have a blast doing these because I learn a lot about the artists that are featured and hopefully I convey that information in a way that allows you to take, again, little nuggets and apply them to your own guitar journey. And I do have some questions for you, three of which, I think. Uh, number one, were there any surprising lessons that I shared with you today? If so, put them in the comments below. Number two, do you have a favorite Coulter Wall song? You can let me know that in the comments as well. And then lastly, what are some other artists that you'd like to see featured in a segment such as this? You can let me know that as well, again, in the comments below. Okay, go ahead and, and keep your guitar. Uh, you're probably gonna wanna tune back up to standard tuning because we're gonna have a look at what the TAC family is working on today. Now, every single day within Tony's Acoustic Challenge, we focus on one of the five essential categories of guitar improvement. On Monday, it's a technique challenge, Tuesday's a guitar lick challenge, Wednesday's an improvisation challenge, Thursday's a rhythm guitar challenge, and Friday's a chord transition challenge. Today just so happens to be Tuesday. That means the TAC family is working on a guitar lick. And here's exactly what they're working on today. Blues in the key of E is on the menu today, and it comes in the form of mashed potatoes. That's actually the title of your guitar lick challenge. And I've always thought that mashed potatoes were an absolute staple of any meal because, well, they're good. You just put butter on them, gravy, boom, it's, it's amazing. This lick is amazing, and it is a staple of blues playing. In fact, you're gonna learn how to set up a lick with this particular guitar lick, and you're gonna learn how to carve out a single measure that is incredibly useful to add some dynamics to your playing. Let me go ahead and play the full thing uh, so you can hear it in its entirety, and then we'll start picking it apart a little bit. Okay, here's how it sounds. a wonderful lick full of dissonance and all these wonderful little nuggets that we can start to isolate. We'll get there in a moment, but first, TAC fam, to learn this note for note, please sign in. This is your daily challenge. Go ahead and click on Start Challenge. That'll take you to the teaching video. Once you get it under your fingers, move to the play along video. Pick a speed that's comfortable for you, and don't forget to pull up the tab in a separate window by clicking that tab icon in the lower right-hand corner. Okay. Uh, where do I even start with this lick? I'm looking at the tab down here and I'm like, there's so much, there's so much to go over, but I'm gonna pick out the two most important, uh, we'll do three, we'll do three things. Uh, the first is a setup. You know, what I love about this is that we're setting up the lick, we're kind of framing it by these wonderful little chord bursts, for lack of a better term. And all I'm doing is taking an E7 chord, playing it for a full measure. Uh, if I haven't mentioned it, this lick is in the key of E, but all we're doing is, is really focusing on the high three strings and driving home that E7. And then we're dropping it by a single fret. Not only does this add dissonance, it sets up the lick because immediately the listener is like, whoa, okay, well, what's going on here? This is sounding weird, what's happening? And we come back to that E7, so it goes like this. And then we have that pause. 
it's a great way to set up a lick. You can just use that piece and play any blues lick after it. Uh, something maybe that would sound like this. You know, it could be any lick, but the wonderful piece of that is that we're setting it up. We're, we're kind of setting some expectations. The second little musical morsel that I wanna take a look at is the single note lick, because we can use that within a finger-picked blues, and it just sounds really cool. It's a wonderful, almost little flashy single note piece that just breaks up some, some standard finger-picking. That would sound like this. So it's just a really wonderful, you can almost use it as a repeated motif. The final thing I wanna go over, and I wanna do this very quickly, is this, this descending chord sequence that happens at the end. It's not descending in terms of the, 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 the chord itself, but it's, it's descending in terms of the type of chord. We're going from an E major to an E major seven to an E seven. And it's kind of a cool bluesy way to end a song. And I think you've heard this. I think that's in Strawberry Fields. It's in a Beatles song. And I know you're probably yelling at your screen right now. You're yelling the title at me, but I, I think it's Strawberry Fields. It's in a Beatles song, okay? I, you know the one. I clearly don't right now. Um, but that's, that's something that you can use in a variety of chords. You can use it over a G chord. It's that same idea of G major, G major seven, G seven. In this case, again, E major, E major seven, E seven. You can do it in D. D major, D major seven, D seven. It's a great way to punctuate an ending, and it's just kind of a, a cool flowery way to, to draw yourself into that dominant seven chord, uh, a, a kind of friendly dissonant chord within any key. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little soapboxy there, but there's just so much here that I want to uh, I want to unpack it as much as I can so that you can find something truly useful for your own playing. And that's one of the things that uh, I just want to mention before we get back to the show. It's okay to break the rules. You know, if you're learning something and you like the way it sounds, but you stumble into something that you think sounds better, follow your heart, follow your ears. You know, if it sounds good, it is good. And it takes a little bit of it takes a little bit of time to build up that confidence where you're like, wait, does this does this sound good? I, I'm not sure. But in your heart, in your gut, you know if something sounds good to you. And if something sounds good to you, it's worthy of repeating. If something sounds good to you, it is good. Find the things that you enjoy playing and follow those things. If you sit down to learn something note for note, it's not going your way, you stumble into something else, please pursue that path because chances are it's gonna lead you to something incredibly rewarding, something incredibly fulfilling, and it could be your next song, it could be your next musical idea. So trust your ears, develop that trust, and again, remember, if it sounds good, it is good. 
it's time to get inspired and get some tips for your own guitar routine. Now, you know that a consistent guitar routine is what leads to progress, fulfillment, success, however you define those on your own terms. And TAC member Lisa knows how effective a consistent guitar routine is. See, over the next 90 days, her goal is to get her guitar routine back to five days per week because she knows that's the key to her progress. But check this out. She's trying to maintain and get her guitar routine back to five days per week during a cross-country move. Yes, during one of the most stressful times anybody can experience, she's trying to maintain her guitar routine. I think this is an incredible goal and she has a very clear plan on how to do it. And that's exactly what I want you to hear. During the last 90 day Tony's Acoustic Challenge live progress party, I had the chance to sit down with Lisa and she laid out her entire plan with me. And I gotta tell you, you have to hear this because not only is it a very clear and effective actionable plan, she also has some wonderful guitar journey wisdom within this that I want you to apply to your own guitar routine and your own guitar journey. So without further ado, here's Lisa. What guitar goal are you working towards here over the next 90 days? So my goal is to build my routine back to five days um, a week. Um, and I'm, I wanna do it even during, in the midst of moving cross country. Given that, that will likely interrupt your routine or, or cause uh, some stress to your routine. How do you how do you feel like you will work around any of the challenges you'll face given that you're moving? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of them is I, I, I hate packing. I absolutely hate it, but I can pack in blocks and like set goals for what I wanna do with the packing piece. So the end of that packing time is going to be celebrated by playing guitar for 10 minutes. Um, and then at the end of the day, I have a usual routine of eight o'clock dishes are done. I come up to my office and I, uh, my home office and I play guitar. When I move across country, I'm moving with my two dogs. So it's going to be a, a long drive. Um, I'm shipping my guitar ahead of me because I don't want it to be in the car with me for five days. But I have this little guitar lele that I'm, I'm not going to be as upset about if something happens to it. So. Um, there again, it's like I'm at the breaks, so potty breaks with the dogs is like five minutes for me to play my guitar. And then end of the day in the hotel room, I'm going to play right before I go to bed. And it's right, uh, it'll be something that I play in the mornings too before I start. So again, trying to book in the suckiness of what I'm doing with something I really enjoy doing, which is playing guitar. I want to thank Lisa for bringing about one of the most important quotes you can use in your guitar journey, bookend the suckiness. And I say that half joking, but, but half serious because what she's doing is she's using her guitar playing as a little bit of a carrot. She's using her guitar playing as a way to break up monotonous activities, such as packing, such as driving across the country. She's using her guitar playing as something to look forward to because it's fun, because it leads to progress, because it leaves her feeling fulfilled and takes her mind off of this enormous change that she's going through, 
moving across the country. So again, I wanna thank Lisa for that perspective on how to maintain a guitar routine, even though the odds are stacked up against you. Again, huge thanks to Lisa. Now it's time to, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna hop in the plane. Speaking of going across the country, uh, please, please invite yourself aboard the Acoustic Tuesday private jet. We're gonna head to Brooklyn, New York, home of, uh, well, that's New York Rangers territory there. And we're gonna visit Bob Jordan, a guitar geek that wants you to see what's in his guitar arsenal. Here's what he's got. A Fender Stratocaster copy that I use as a knockaround, a Gretsch G2420 Streamliner, a Fender Acoustic, his very first acoustic guitar, a Fender Stratocaster, the red one, and a Martin GPC X2E, the guitar he's holding in this photo. Bob, thank you so much for sharing your guitar arsenal with us. And if you're sitting at home thinking, Bob did it, it's time for me to do it. It's time for me to share my guitar arsenal on the Acoustic Tuesday show. Well, Bob wants you to do it, and I want you to do it as well. And here's how you get your guitar arsenal featured on the show. I wanna to propose to you a win-win-win scenario. I wanna feature you on the Acoustic Tuesday show. Yes, I wanna feature you and your guitar arsenal, or you and your Acoustic Tuesday merchandise. Step number one, go to tonypolacastro.com forward slash shop. Once you're there, pick out your favorite guitar arsenal shirt, your favorite Acoustic Tuesday merchandise, get it shipped directly to your door. Step number two, once your merchandise arrives, go ahead and put it on and take a picture of yourself, either just wearing Acoustic Tuesday merchandise, or if you have a guitar arsenal shirt, take a picture in front of all of your guitars. And then once you're done with that, step number three is to upload your picture at tonypolacastro.com forward slash shop. There's a link right on that page. Click it, you can upload your photo, and boom, you'll be featured in the Acoustic Tuesday show. Win number one, you get featured in the Acoustic Tuesday show. Win number two, you get some cool snazzy Guitar Geek merchandise. Win number three, the biggest win of them all, all proceeds from the TonyPolacastro.com forward slash shop are being donated to Guitars for Vets. You get featured in the show, you get cool new shirts, cool new merchandise, and you help out Guitars for Vets. Win, win, win. Okay, back to the show. It's time to sit back, put your feet up, pour yourself a cup of coffee, and enjoy some acoustic news you can use. And I'm gonna kick things off with a must-see memorial. A Kelly Joe Phelps memorial was held online. It was hosted by Steve Dawson, uh, one of Kelly Joe's close musical friends, uh, one of Kelly Joe's producers who is originally from Canada, now lives in Nashville, and he did a heck of a job hosting this. Now, this memorial was rather unique in that he featured video after video of other musicians telling stories about Kelly Joe, other musicians sharing stories about touring with Kelly Joe. It was incredible insight into Kelly Joe's life and how many musicians, how many people he impacted. Now, for those of you who have watched Acoustic Tuesday before, you know that Kelly Joe Phelps is one of my all-time favorite musicians. He passed away uh, roughly a month or so ago, and I was able to attend this memorial uh, online via Zoom, and I was only able to catch the latter half of it, probably the last hour and a half, and I was bummed because I wanted to see the whole darn thing. Well, I was happy to find out that Steve actually published this to YouTube so you can actually check it out in its entirety. It's divvied up into three different parts 
It's done oh so incredibly well. Steve takes a look at his albums. Steve actually interviews uh, Kelly Joe's daughter. So you get some wonderful kind of intimate stories about Kelly Joe and his daughter. And of course, those videos that I mentioned from other musicians sharing their stories. In fact, just so you can get kind of a taste of what this was like, I wanna feature just a small snippet of this right now. So you can kind of understand the, the, the weight that this particular memorial carried. It was something really special and I want you to check it out. Here's a quick snippet. We're gonna share a video that we got from Jeffrey Foucault, who's an amazing singer and songwriter who toured and played a bunch with Kelly Joe over the years. The first time I was out on the road with Kelly Joe, we were in California. He was making a live record and I was opening up the shows. And at the end of that little trip, we're standing outside having a smoke at the Casbah, this little rock club in San Diego. Right by the airport, you could hear the planes going by overhead. And uh, we were saying goodbye, and he tucked $200 into my front pocket. And $200 uh, at that point in my life was a lot of money. And he gave me a hug, and he sent me on my way. And I want to tell you, I've spent years paying that $200 to a whole lot of people. And I will never get out of Kelly Joe's debt. Not for the money, but for the gesture and for the example that he set of being willing to follow your own line musically, artistically, no matter what's going on. Missy Kelly Joe. Thank you, Jeffrey. You know, that's funny. As I mentioned, it's divvied up into three parts. I believe each part is roughly an hour long, maybe an hour and some change. So it's definitely a time commitment, but you can break it up to over three days. I do think it is worth it because Kelly Joe was a one of a kind. And I'm saying that purely as a listener. I never knew him personally, but his music uh, touched me in ways that I can't even explain. Uh, one of the artists that... I will sorely, sorely miss, but I'm so happy that he put out the music that he did when he was here. Okay, moving on to another artist that I am so happy to be able to call a dear friend. Charlie Parr just released a new album, an Under the Radar album, an album that really isn't an album, but it is. Let me explain. I'm gonna go ahead and read this post. The album is entitled Sound No Song, and it has this wonderful concept behind it. Uh, let me go ahead and read this, and then we're gonna go ahead and uh, listen to one of the songs, a little piece. I guess we're gonna listen to one of the sounds, not one of the songs. You'll see what I mean here in a moment. Sound No Song is definitely not an album for everyone. It's made up entirely of fragments compiled on my cell phone of musical ideas that I've had over the last few years and never did anything with. I feel like I probably need to defend it or justify it or even apologize for it to folks who are used to my albums containing more recognizable songs, but I don't think I'll do any of those things. My dear friend Tom Herbers helped me assemble this collection and do the mastering work, and he likes it, and that's enough for me. I like it too. I think music exists in more of our audible spectrum than we realize. If we listen for it, we're bound to hear it. I'm grateful for music in every form, every day, and even more grateful that I've had the opportunity to participate in music, whether it be songs or sounds. I, I just wanna say, I think this is something very special because an album, 
is usually a very polished set of songs, as, as Charlie mentioned here, that are recognizable. And here he's saying, actually, come with me. I wanna show you some ideas that never made the cut, but I think are really cool. So you get this wonderful, almost behind the curtain look at not only these, these sounds, these s songs, but also maybe a look into Charlie's creative process as well. Very cool, something I wanted you to be aware of. In fact, uh, let's go ahead and just listen to a chunk of one right now. In fact, we'll just listen to a snippet of the very first, I guess I can call it track on this album, entitled, 1116, standing for January 1st, 2016. Let's have a listen. Your next chunk of news comes from Daisy Tempest. She recently did an interview with, I wanna get this name right, Megan Linford Music. And I believe this is just a, a quick summary of the full interview, but this summary contains something that I need you to hear. I want you to listen for a quote that I think is so special and so useful in life, but specifically in your guitar journey as well. So go ahead and listen to this uh, summary of the interview, and then I'll reveal what the quote is after you hear it. I'm gonna make it work. There is always room in any industry for a creative thinker. Loads of little creative minds out there that don't realize that this pathway is open to them. You literally started from, you know, scratch. I did one thing per day, no matter how small, no matter how much I felt like it or not, I did one thing that would grow my business. I'm so excited to kind of, now I've got my roots down, just grow my workshop yeah. from here, yeah. Daisy says it right there. Do one thing per day, no matter how small, whether you feel like it or not, do one thing per day to move yourself towards your goal. And I think this is so cool and, and ironically, uh, serendipitously, I found another post from Adam Grant that actually takes Daisy's quote one step further. Adam Grant always hits the nail on the head. I've said that many times on this show and I'll probably continue to say it because I feel like all of Adam Grant's posts are pure gold. Here's what he has to say. Progress rarely happens in a straight line. It typically unfolds in loops. Day by day, it can feel like you're spinning your wheels. If you look back on your trajectory over months or years, you can see forward movement. Major growth is the result of many seemingly minor turns. And as always, Adam has this wonderful quote that he posted, or rather this wonderful little nugget of wisdom, and then he usually pairs it with an illustration. And I found this to be incredibly impactful. One that really, took me back. It really, I just, I sat here and looked at this and, and had to think about it. The illustration illustration is from Liz and Molly. And Molly, hopefully, hopefully I said it, maybe it's Liz and Molly. Whatever it is, I wanna give credit where credit's due. Uh, this illustration uh, really shows exactly what Adam was talking about. Uh, the top, what it can feel like, spinning in circles, and then the bottom, what's actually happening. And it's almost this spring illustration that shows you are indeed making progress. I just thought this was really quite eye-opening and something, of course, I wanted to share with you. Uh, next up, 
is something I mentioned before on the show, but I wanted to give you a more in-depth look at it because Alistair from Atkin Guitars um, showed off one of the Dust Bowl series guitars and it got my guitar geek mouth watering. And I want, well, I, I want your guitar geek mouth to water as well. This is a, well, for me, it's a much awaited, long anticipated type of guitar from Atkin and you have to see it. So here's Alistair to describe it and show you the Dust Bowl series from Atkin Guitars. I wanna show you a new guitar in our range. This is the Dust Bowl 012. It's got a slotted headstock. It's got mahogany back and sides and top. Uh, it has no binding around the outside. It's, it's a very sort of basic kind of depression era guitar. It's got an ebony nut, an Indian rosewood fingerboard and bridge. And it's got ivoroid dot markers. It's got our super thin nitrocellulose finish. We're gonna be making the 012, the 0012 and the 0012 and the 014 the 0014 and the 0014. So watch this space. The final piece of news I have for you is one that will break your heart. It will break any guitar geek's heart. There's a scumbag on the loose. Now I say that and I even feel bad saying scumbag because I don't like talking negatively about anyone really. And I don't think scumbag is a word that I would use all that often, but I do feel that the person I'm about to introduce you to is a scumbag. Um, this individual stole a lot of things from a music store that I've talked about and featured on the Acoustic Tuesday show before, the Fellowship of Acoustics. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, let you see these pictures of this individual we'll call a quote unquote scumbag, and I'm gonna read this post. Sadly, we have to share that we've been robbed a few weeks ago. Two busy Saturdays in a row, these men stole around 7,000 euros worth of audio interfaces. If you happen to recognize any of these men or have information regarding the instance, please don't hesitate to contact us. The video footage has also been shared by the local authorities and can be found following the link in our bio. So if you wanna check that out, look up uh, the Fellowship of Acoustics on Instagram, you'll see these pictures. And apparently it's not a single scumbag, it's multiple scumbags. So if we can do anything to help uh, here as a Guitar Geek community, let's go ahead and do so. Let's let's uh, band together and see if we can catch this this rogue band of music thieves. I hate, I hate, I hate that. I just don't think that's cool. It's not cool at all. Stealing isn't cool, but stealing musical equipment is doubly not cool. Anyways, on that note, I want to go ahead and wrap up the Acoustic Tuesday show for today. But first, let's of course take a sneak peek into next week. And next week, we are wading into uncharted territory. Next week is going to be a technique tune-up. Next week, you're going to be learning how to two-hand tap on your acoustic guitar. If you've ever admired modern percussive fingerstyle players, uh, players like Preston Reed, players like Adrian Ballou, players like Mike Dawes that use two hands on the fretboard, I'm gonna show you how to do that next week. So maybe rather than a technique tune-up, it will be more of a technique startup. But nonetheless, next week will be very, very exciting. Remember, you can catch Acoustic Tuesday every single Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time right here on YouTube. And before I let you go, I do want to remind you of one thing. Your guitar success, however you define it, is directly related to your guitar routine. So please invest the time in developing your guitar routine and make sure to have fun every single day that you play. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you for being a guitar geek. And I'll see you next Tuesday 
Tuesday on the Acoustic Tuesday Show. Cheers and Guitar Geeks Unite.